Chapter Eighteen of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: The Theatre Party. It was a very merry party that took possession of the box that Mr. Southard had placed at their disposal and waited with ill-concealed impatience for the rise of the curtain. Anne's friends had thought her the ideal Rosalind in the high school production of the piece, but her powers as an actress under the constant instruction of Everett Southard had increased tenfold. His own marvellous work was a source of inspiration to Anne, and from the instant that she set foot upon the stage until the final fall of the curtain, she became and was Rosalind. Thrilling with pride as she eagerly watched Anne's triumph, Grace was in a maze of delight, and every round of applause that Anne received was as music to her ears. David, too, was more deeply moved than he liked to admit even to himself. In his own heart he had a distinct fear that in spite of her assertions to the contrary, Anne might after all yield to the call of her talent and seek a stage career. During the evening he became so unusually grave and silent that Grace, having an inkling of what was passing in his mind, leaned over and said, "'Don't worry, David. She won't. I'm sure of it. Her mind is fixed upon college.' David drew a long breath of almost relief. "'I believe it if you say so, Grace. It has worried me a lot, however. She is such a wonderful little actress.' "'Nevertheless, take my word for it, she won't,' was the assuring answer. After the play was over, the visit behind the scenes being next on the program, Mrs. Gibson and her charges were conducted through a long passage to the back of the house. The boys were taken to Mr. Southard's dressing-room, and Mrs. Gibson and the five girls to Anne's. There were many exclamations over the cosy dressing-room which Anne occupied. As is the case in most of the recently built theatres, the star's dressing-room had been comfortably furnished and was in direct comparison to the cheerless, barn-like rooms that make life on the road a terror to professional people. "'You see, I have had you right with me,' smiled Anne, who was seated at a dressing-table, taking off her make-up with cold cream. She pointed to a photograph that the Phi Sigma Tau had had taken the previous summer. "'Only one face is missing to-night.' said Grace, in low tones, as she drew her chair close to Anne's. "'Have you found out anything else?' asked Anne, in the same guarded tones. "'Nothing very important,' replied Grace. "'Marion and Henry Hammond have had some sort of quarrel. Nora saw them pass the other day without speaking.' "'That's a step in the right direction,' said Anne. "'Once she has dropped him for good and all, she'll begin to see her own folly. Then she'll come back and be her old self again.' "'I hope so,' sighed Grace.' Then the conversation became general, and the two girls had no further opportunity for discussion of the subject. Just as Anne had completed her dressing, a knock sounded on the door, and Mr. Southard's deep voice called out, "'All aboard for the actor's retreat!' "'Come in, Mr. Southard,' said Anne, and the door opened to admit the eminent actor, who looked bigger and handsomer than ever in his long coat and soft black hat. Then Anne presented him to Mrs. Gibson, and a general handshaking ensued. For the first time that night they were handed into the uncomplaining but overworked taxicab, according to Nora's version, and set out for the Southard home. The entire party promptly fell in love with Miss Southard, who was a counterpart of her brother, except that she was considerably older, and she apparently returned their liking from the moment of meeting. "'I know every one of you,' she said. "'Anne talks of no one else to me. Your fame has already preceded you.' The Southers proved to be hospitable entertainers, and exerted every effort in behalf of their young guests. The time slipped by on wings, and it was well after one o'clock before any one thought of returning to the hotel. 
"'I am not a very reliable chaperone,' laughed Mrs. Gibson, "'to allow my charges to keep such late hours as this.' "'It's only once in a lifetime,' remarked Nora. "'How very cruel,' said Mr. Southard solemnly. "'I'd hoped that you would all honour us again with your society.' "'I didn't mean that,' she cried, laughing a little. "'I only meant that this was a red-letter night for us. "'We are basking in the light of greatness.' "'Very pretty indeed,' was the actor's reply, "'and he gave Nora one of his rare, beautiful smiles "'that caused her to afterwards aver "'that he was truly the handsomest man in the whole world. "'With many expressions of pleasure "'for the delightful hours they had passed, "'the revellers bade the Southards good-night and good-bye. "'I'm going to give a special party to the Phi Sigma Tau "'and these young men when my season closes,' "'announced the actor as they stood in the wide hall "'for a moment before leaving.' "'I trust that you may be able to again assume the role of chaperone,' he added to Mrs. Gibson. "'I shall need no second invitation,' replied Mrs. Gibson. "'But may I not hope to see your sister and yourself at Hawk's Nest in the near future?' "'You are indeed kind,' replied Mr. Southard. "'It will be a distinct pleasure, and perhaps I may be able to arrange it. My season is to be a short one.' "'Get your things and come with us, Anne,' teased Grace. "'We've loads of things to talk of, and you can breakfast with us and go to the train, too.' "'Please don't say no, because you won't see us again for three whole weeks.' "'I give you my official permission to carry her off this one time, Grace,' laughed Mr. Southard. "'Better wear your long coat, dear. It is very cold,' called Miss Southard as Anne ran upstairs after her wraps. Then the final goodbyes were said, and the party were driven back to their hotel. Mrs. Gibson invited Miriam to share her apartment, thus Grace and Anne were left to themselves, and indulged in one of their old heart-to-heart talks.' Breakfast the next morning was a late affair. After breakfast the entire party went for a drive, and after a one o'clock luncheon repaired to the station. Mrs. Gibson, James Gardiner, and the Phi Sigma Tau were to take the 2.30 train for Oakdale. The boys would leave at five o'clock. Tom and Arnold were to travel part of the journey with David, Hippy, and Reddy. Then their ways diverged. The girls kissed and embraced Anne tenderly, and there was a rush for the ferry. They stood on the deck, waving to her until they could scarcely see the flutter of her handkerchief. After agreeing to meet the boys at the ferry, David escorted Anne back to the Southards and spent a brief half-hour with her. "'Promise me, Anne,' said David earnestly as he was leaving, "'that you won't accept any engagement that you may receive an offer of.' "'Of course not, you foolish David,' replied Anne. "'Notwithstanding the fact that you won't believe me, "'I solemnly promise to run from prospective managers "'as I would from smallpox, and there's my hand upon it.' "'I am satisfied,' answered David, grasping her outstretched hand. "'I know you will keep your word.'" End of chapter 18